G'day, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great that you can join us for Night Church. Now, I don't know about you, but recently I've been spending a little bit more time on Zoom than I'd like. As much as we hate Zoom and Zoom fatigue is a real thing, there is something that I do kind of like about Zoom, and it's that you can look over the person's shoulder and notice things in their house or the flat that they're staying in. I don't know whether you have noticed that. And you can tell things about the person you're talking to by what you can see behind them, right? You can work things out. You might see behind them like a big pile of dirty washing or an unmade bed. And you know you're talking maybe to someone who's a bit of a slob or has some ratbag housemates. Maybe you can see behind them some you know, nice art and an indoor plant and this person's sophisticated. Maybe there's a musical instrument. Maybe they've got some special gifts. Uh, maybe there's an All Blacks poster and a shelf full of trophies. Maybe they're a sports fan or a bit of an athlete. I always wonder about the people who have virtual backgrounds. I'm like, what have you got to hide? What is going on behind you that you don't want us to see? Imagine you were to Zoom our church, sit on a hill. I would be confident to say that what you'd find in the background would be a Bible. Actually, not even in the background, in the foreground. Right front and centre. I see at Sit on a Hill, we're a church that loves to gather together as God's people and hear him speak to us through his word. And that's what we're going to do right now. So it'd be great if you can keep Mark chapter 1 open. That's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to have a bit of a look at Jesus and see why he's so important. So I'll pray as we begin looking at God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you speak to us through the scriptures. Lord, we um, pray now as we read them that you might blow us away by how significant Jesus is. We pray that we might not just read words on a page, but that we might hear your voice to us. And Lord, we pray that if we have not yet looked into Jesus, if we have not yet taken him serious, that these words that Mark has written might push us and urge us to think hard about Jesus, uh, to get to the bottom of who he is, uh, to find the answers and respond as we desperately need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, there are some things in life that are best not to ignore. Um, I want to introduce you to an old friend of mine. I think I've got a photo. Um, The old friend isn't the guy leaning against the car. That's a 17-year-old me. Um, leaning against oh you're loving it yeah I don't get what's so funny anyway but what I'm leaning against is my good friend Edna Uh, she was my first car in 1991 uh, blue Toyota Camry who here was alive in 1991 I was Uh, not very many (laughs) not this half of the room okay um (laughs) Well, you guys know, like, a 1991 Toyota Camry. Uh, She was a great car, but she had her quirks. The first quirk we learnt was that uh, we were driving on a road trip from Sydney to Melbourne. Uh, I grew up in Australia. Uh, Sydney to Melbourne to watch the Bledisloe Cup that was happening in Melbourne. And we were in the middle of nowhere, and we found out... uh, This is the first road trip we did. We found out that she actually runs out at a quarter of a tank. Um, Like, we thought we had really great fuel efficiency for the first quarter of the tank because the needle didn't move. But then when it hits one quarter to go, uh, it stopped. That was it. Uh, but I was 17. I didn't, have, I didn't have any idea how to look after a car. I thought you put petrol in, you turned the key, and you drove. And that was it. Right? That, that's all I knew about cars. Uh, and some of you are like, what, there's more? Um, but uh, for me, like the, uh, driving around for a little while, um, and a little engine light comes on. Hmm? little engine light, that's no big deal. I just ignore it. Nothing to see here. And then I realised after a little while after that that every time I pulled away from the lights, blue smoke would come out the back. Um, uh, 
It kind of looks cool. It wasn't affecting me. <laughs> I wasn't behind me when I pulled off at the lights, so I just ignored it and kept driving, hoped it would go away. And then came the rattling sound. Uh, at first, it was just a little rattle here and there, and then it was kind of consistent. Uh, and then people uh, would uh, look as I drove past at this car that sounded like a lawnmower. Um, but I just ignored it. I just kept driving it and driving it and driving it until the sound got louder and louder and louder, until one day, it just broke down completely on the side of the road. I thought I could ignore the engine light. I thought I could ignore the blue smoke. I thought I could ignore the rattling sound. But it turns out they were warning signs. They were warning signs that there was something seriously wrong with Edna and I needed to do something about it, but I didn't. It turns out that cars need oil to run. Uh, if you don't put oil uh, into the engine, uh, you destroy the engine. Uh, I didn't know that when I was 17. I know that now. And you know that now too. So uh, if you have a car, go home, check the oil. Um, yeah. The warning signs for me were there. They were there, I, but I thought I could ignore them. I thought I could just get on with doing what I wanted to do and just uh, and breeze on li through life, driving my car without any problem. Uh, but uh, there are some warning signs in life, there are some things that come in life that we just can't ignore. We can't just kind of put them on the back burner. We can't just put them in the too hard basket. Kind of, We have to deal with them. There are some things that come along that are so significant, that are so important, they compel us to take a closer look, to work out what is really going on. And at City on a Hill, we believe at the top of that list, at the top of the things that cannot be ignored, at the very top is the person of Jesus. The impact that Jesus has had on our world, the, the claims that Jesus has made about himself, who he says he is, the, the number of lives that Jesus has transformed, the hope and the blessing that Jesus promises you, is so significant, so immense, that you just cannot ignore it. Uh, even H.G. Wells, a famous English historian and atheist, someone who didn't believe in God, even he says, Christ is the most unique person in history. No man can write a history of the human race without giving first and foremost place to the penniless teacher of Nazareth first and foremost place. Even an atheist says that Jesus is so significant, you have to deal with him. Jesus demands our attention. And at some point, we've got to stop and set aside everything else. And we've got to look and work out who he is, what he said, what he did, and what that means for us. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to have a, a three little snapshots of Jesus from Mark's gospel uh, one of the four biographies, biographies of Jesus. And we're going to see that Jesus is enough. We often feel so dissatisfied and so shortchanged in this world and things don't meet our expectations. But Jesus, if you really get to know him, you'll realize he is enough for you. Now, that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. Uh, now, Mark's gospel, it's, an, uh, it's from the Bible. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. They tell us about his life and his teaching. Uh, and we're going to see what all the fuss is about, whether Jesus deserves the attention that he, uh, that he asks for. Uh, the first reason from Mark's gospel why we can't ignore Jesus, the first reason is that he is God's promised king. Have a look at Mark chapter 1 verse 1 with me. Uh, the first sentence there, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. 
the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, there is a lot packed into that uh, little verse. Uh, we're going to break it down. Firstly, good news. Uh, the word there, good news, is the same word that we use. Uh, you might have heard Christians talk about the gospel. Uh, the gospel and good news, they're the same, same word. Uh, back in the first century, though, this gospel, this good news, it was, a, it was a reser- kind of reserved for like a kingly announcement. Someone, if they had a baby, they wouldn't say, come on, I've got a great, I've got, I've got a gospel for you, I've got good news for you. No, it would be the king who turned up and said, uh, here is the gospel, here is the good news, we have defeated our enemies. And so this is an announcement of a, a, a kingly victory, a victory in battle. And, and so Mark, <coughs> I promise it's not COVID, um, so Mark... <laughs> Uh, in the beginning of his biography, he's telling us that this is the beginning of the good news of God's victory, right up front. God's victory has come with Jesus. The second thing to notice is the good news about who the, who the good news is about. It's about Jesus, and it says there, Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, or in older Bibles, it might say the Christ. They're the same word. They mean the anointed one. Uh, now, some people think that Jesus uh, is Mr. Christ, like Christ is his last name. Uh, but Christ, or Messiah, it is not a name, but it's a title. Now, there are some titles you can uh, go to university and work really hard to get, like a, a doctor or a professor. You can work hard and get that title, and then people have to go, yes, doctor, or yes, professor. Um, uh, but this title here, it is not one that you can earn. It can only be given, and it can only be given by God, and it can only be given by God to say that this person is God's chosen king. This person is God's appointed ruler. And this person, who's God's king and God's appointed ruler, is the man Jesus. And if that isn't enough for you, Mark drops a third phrase in the first sentence. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the Son of God, that was a title that was used at the time by uh, the emperors of Rome. They, they, they claimed to be sons of God in their special exalted position over all the people. But it was also used in the Old Testament to talk about God's promised king. Uh, psalm 2, uh, it, it's a psalm that's all about God's king, God's promised Messiah, and he's called God's son. And this son of God, he will take, it says in Psalm 2, he'll take possession of the ends of the earth. He'll inherit all of the nations. Before this son of God, the whole creation will tremble and worship. And so we're only one sentence into Mark's gospel, and we roll these words together, and we've got the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God, and we roll them all together, and we see this story about Jesus. It's actually a story, not just about a man in Palestine, but it's a story about a king, about royalty, about power and victory and might. And so you're starting to see what Mark, the writer of this biography, is trying to do with us. What he's trying to tell us right up front. Mark is saying, hey, put down the magazine, turn off the TV, put your phone away, cancel your plans. Mark is saying, give me your attention, because what I have to say is really, really important. I want to tell you about God's King. I want to introduce you to the most extraordinary, the most intriguing, the most powerful, the most captivating person you could ever meet. Hold the phone, cancel your plans, put down the tools and come and meet Jesus. Jesus is someone you cannot ignore. He's God's promised king. The news about him is good. The news about him is victory 
for God's people. So come and meet him. Come and give him the time that he deserves. Another way that we can sense how important someone is or how significant someone is is, is by the sort of preparation that people do in order for them to come over. Now, uh, our friends, uh, when our friends come over to our house, we might, um, you know, we might kick some of the shoes out of the way at the front door just so that they don't trip over when they walk in. We might, you know, we might not wash the dishes. We might just kind of gather all the dishes and stick them in the sink. Um, but, you know, we, like, we, don't, we, don't, we don't kind of roll out the red carpet. But say someone really important was coming to your house or someone that you really wanted to impress. Well, then you, you, know, you wipe down the bench. You, you, you do the washing up. You put away the dirty clothes. You, you, know, you do the Zoom virtual background thing so they can't see. You, you, you get prepared, right? You prepare. And, and the level of preparation you put in is, is, is kind of uh, indicative of how important the person is. If the, if the Prime Minister was coming to your house for dinner, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you would spend the day preparing for her arrival. And see, Jesus, the preparations for his arrival, well, they, they stretch back hundreds of years. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Verse 3, A voice of one calling in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Uh, now, even though uh, the prophet Isaiah is the only one who gets a mention there, Mark's actually quoting two prophets from the Old Testament. One, Isaiah, who was uh, 600 years before Jesus, and the other is Malachi, who was 400 years before Jesus. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. And, and, and Isaiah and Malachi are talking about the preparations uh, that will begin uh, for the coming of God's Messiah. Uh, and, and these guys have been talking about this for hundreds of years. God's been telling his people to get ready for the coming of Jesus. Be prepared for him. Don't miss out on him. But what's actually even more significant, if you read these verses carefully, you'll see the heads up that we get here from Isaiah and Malachi. They're actually not even about Jesus himself. These are talking about the, the support act that will come to prepare for Jesus. The support act is announced hundreds of years in advance. The guy who's going to come and get things ready for Jesus. Now, the support act, it tells you a little bit about who's going to come on stage a little bit later, doesn't it? Now, if you went to a gig and the support act was some no-name, unheard-of, unsigned band from Palmerston North, now, you're probably not going to expect much is going to come out on the stage after, right? But if, like, the support act is, like... Kanye or Ed Sheeran or U2, like some of the biggest names of the world, if that's the support act, well, what's going to come on the stage after that is going to blow your mind. How do you get even bigger than them? Well, here from Malachi and Isaiah, these prophetic words, they're talking about the support act and, and, and that he is the, the, the greatest prophet of all the Old Testament. That's the one who's going to come before Jesus. And he's going to come and he's going to get things ready before Jesus. And it's talking about John, John the Baptist. And so what do we know about John? Uh, we know he's a bit wild. I have a look there in verse 4. Uh, verse 4, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And John, we also know, is a bit feral looking. Um, verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Now, John's wild and he's a bit feral looking he's, and he's on this crazy diet. It's not some sort of paleo caveman fad. Uh, no, the reason John is like that is because uh, the Old Testament predicted that before 
God's Messiah came, before God's King came, a person would come who was like the old prophet Elijah. An Elijah-type person would come and prepare the way for him. The great prophet of the Old Testament, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah, well, you never guess what he wore. He wore camel's hair. And you'd never guess what he ate. We ate locusts and wild honey. And so as John comes, he's deliberately mimicking Elijah from the Old Testament. He's preparing the way for God's great king. He's preparing the, the way for Jesus to come and bring God's kingdom. But you might be wondering, how does like a really uncomfortable wardrobe and a kind of quirky diet, how does, how does that prepare the way for God's coming king? Well, it has to do with what John is actually saying and, and, and where John is saying it. You see, John is in the wilderness, right? And he's preaching, he's preaching a baptism of repentance. He's hanging out in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance, and he's baptizing people where? He's baptizing them in the River Jordan. Uh, now, John is telling God's people, it's time to start again. It's time to start over. He's, he's in the wilderness. He's back in the desert. Just like God's people spent 40 years wandering in the desert. He's gone back to the Jordan River. The, the river they crossed in order to enter into the promised land. And he's telling them that they need to repent. That they need to turn around. Turn from their sin and turn back to God. John is telling them it's time to press the reset button. It's time to wind back the clock. It's time to start this whole thing over again. Imagine that uh, tomorrow at the 1 a.m., oh, not 1 a.m., 1 p.m. press conference, uh, instead of, um, you know, the, uh, the finance minister and uh, Ashley Bloomfield, uh, the prime minister comes out and she comes out with the governor general. And they make an announcement. They say, we're going to go uh, back to Waitangi. They, 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 say, they, they say, we've failed as a nation to live up to our, our obligations We've failed to live up to the ideals and the promises we made in the treaty. And so we're going to wind back the clock and we're all going back to Waitangi and we're going to start the whole thing over again. Make a fresh start. We're going to hit the reset button. Well, that's what John is doing here. He's calling all of Israel to go back to the beginning, to go back and to start it again. Because the coming of Jesus, the coming of God's promised king, it's going to be a reset. It's going to be a new beginning for God's people. And they need to be ready for that. And John knows how much of a big deal this king coming, this, this Jesus is going to be. Have a look at verse 7. Verse 7, and this was John's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the, sand, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, as great as John the Baptist was, and elsewhere uh, it'll be said that John the Baptist was the greatest of all the prophets, as great as he was, he knows that he is nothing in comparison to God's chosen king. Uh, back in the first century, it was the job of the most lowly-ranked servant in a household to deal with the footwear and the feet. Uh, in the first century, streets, they kind of did double duty. Not only were they the places that you walked to go places, but they were also the sewer and the rubbish tip. And the only thing uh, that stopped uh, your toes from getting... Uh, the, only thing that, the only barrier between your toes and the poop in the street were your sandals. And so it was the lowest-ranked servant who dealt with the footwear, who, who took the sandals off, who cleaned people's feet, who the lowest-ranked tended to the dirtiest job of them all. 
But John, as he compares himself to Jesus, even though John is the greatest of all the prophets, as he compares himself to Jesus, he says that he ranks so far below Jesus that he is not worthy to do the lowest job for Jesus. Even John is not worthy to take the filthy sandals off Jesus' feet. And so John is telling us that Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is someone we cannot ignore. And in case we didn't get it in verse 1, and in case we don't trust the words of John, uh, Mark finally gives us uh, the verdict direct from the lips of God. Uh, Jesus comes with God's approval. Have a look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. We've heard from Mark. We've heard from John. And now we hear from God himself. God's own testimony. God's own witness to Jesus. You see, this is Jesus. He is God's Son. And he is filled with God's Holy Spirit. And he is God himself, the second person of the Trinity. And he comes with God's approval. And he comes with God's authority. Now, if you were to come to me and you were to ask me about um, Christopher, a kid who lives down the road from me, uh, one of Finn's good friends, I could tell you a few basic facts about Christopher. I could tell you his parents' names. I could tell you which house he lives in. I could tell you which school he goes to. Um, I could tell you what sport he plays. Um, Simple details. But if you came and asked me about Isaac, Lucy or Finn, well, I could talk forever about them. They are my own children. I could tell you almost anything you would want to know about them. I could tell you their favourite colour. I could tell you what's on their Christmas list this year. I I could tell you what really annoys them. Uh, I could tell you that they all ate eggs for breakfast yesterday. I could tell you their hopes and dreams. I could tell you things that almost no one else in the world would know about them. I could do it because they're my kids and I know them better than anyone else. And so here we have God the Father introducing us to his Son and filling him with the Holy Spirit. And God himself is telling us that Jesus is a big deal. And God himself is telling us that Jesus is up to the job. God is telling us that Jesus is his king and his ruler and he is God's promised saviour. And God is even telling us that he couldn't be happier about it. With him I am well pleased. God is telling us himself that Jesus is a big deal. That Jesus is someone we cannot ignore. That he has sent Jesus to come and establish his eternal, everlasting kingdom. And that through Jesus, God invites us all to join him in that. And it's a kingdom that will impact us all uh, through the rest of the chapter, which we're not going to go through verse by verse. But we see what happens when Jesus, God's chosen king, God's anointed king, goes about telling people about the kingdom that he brings. Have a look there in verse 14. After John was put in prison, verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent 
and believe the good news. You see, Jesus is bringing God's kingdom and the only appropriate response to Jesus, God's king, is repentance. To turn back to him. To stop living as our own king and start living with Jesus as our king. And we see here in chapter 1 the beginning of how people start to respond to that king and to, and to the good news about his kingdom. There are some people like uh, James and John and Simon and Andrew, they, they, they get on board right away and they start following Jesus, their king. They leave behind their old life and they, and they go all in with Jesus. There are some people who seem to uh, kind of come up close to Jesus for what they can get out of him. Uh, they bring their sick and their troubled and their demon-possessed and they, they, they come to Jesus because of the benefits that he offers, the benefits that his kingdom brings. But the thing I want you to notice here is all these people, as they meet Jesus, when they see Jesus, when they, even when they hear about Jesus, they're drawn to him. They're drawn to him. And, and they also, not only are they drawn to him, but they cannot not talk about him. Now have a look in uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 45, the last verse that we read. Uh, verse 45. He, this is the leper who's just been healed by Jesus after being told not to say anything. Uh, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the good news. And as a result, Jesus could not enter the town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You see, when the people hear about Jesus, they flock to him. They're drawn to him. And what's happening here in these early stages of this story, of Mark's story about Jesus, Mark is flooding us with reasons why Jesus cannot be ignored, why Jesus demands our attention. He's the king. He comes with God's authority. He brings God's promised eternal kingdom. His arrival has been planned and prepared for hundreds of years. Jesus is actually the culmination of all of God's plans and purposes since the beginning of creation. It's all been leading up to. It's all been pointing forward to him. And he is greater than all who have gone before him. He is God's son, filled with God's spirit, coming with God's blessing. And when we begin to see who Jesus is, when we begin to grasp how significant he is, then we simply cannot ignore him. And so the obvious question for us all is, have you actually had a close look at Jesus? Have you actually had a close look at Jesus? Have you taken the time to see what all the fuss is about? Have you taken the time to see what he demands of you, of what he asks of you, of what he calls you to? Have you taken the time to see what he promises, what he offers, if you are part of his kingdom? Because it's worth taking the time. It's worth slowing down. It's worth setting things aside to actually consider Jesus, to actually get to know him actually see what he offers, what he brings for those who trust in him. Uh, now, Banksy uh, is an artist. Uh, what he does is he um, cruises around the world. He's a little bit anonymous, but his art pops up in random places, on walls and on uh, the sides of buildings. Um, and, and, and his art has become iconic. I've got a picture of some of them there. I'm sure you've seen these images before. Uh, I think they're great. Um, uh, now, 
what Banksy did once as a social experiment was he set himself up at a street stall, street stall in New York City where there's often art for sale just on the side of the road and he put some of his original works up and he was selling them for $60 a pop. Uh, now, for hours and hours and hours, people walked past and they glanced at their art and they just kept on walking. Uh, they didn't consider it worth their close attention. Uh, he didn't make his first sale until 3pm in the afternoon uh, and that was by a, a, a lady who was a mother and she was buying something to put up on her kids' bedroom walls uh, and she even negotiated a two-for-one deal. <laughs> At the end of the day, he sold eight paintings for a grand total of $420. Uh, fun fact, uh, two of the eight uh, were sold uh, to a Kiwi woman who was walking past that day. Um, uh, four of them were bought by a guy who was just looking for some new stuff to decorate the walls of his house that he was renovating. Uh, Banksy recently had one of his original pieces sold for over $30 million. And it turns out that each of those canvases now are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. But hundreds and thousands of people walked past. They didn't take the time. They didn't slow down. They didn't ask the questions. They didn't discover the real value of what they were passing by. But this is exactly why Mark has written this gospel, this biography about Jesus. It's written to get our attention. It's written so that we might slow down. So we might come to know Jesus. So that we will realize that Jesus is way too important to ignore. So we'll realize that what Jesus offers us is way too good to pass up. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia Tales, uh, he wrote this about Jesus. He said, I feel that everyone has to come to terms with the claims of Jesus Christ upon his life. Everyone has to come to terms with the claims of Jesus Christ upon his life or else be guilty of inattention or evading the question." You either deal with Jesus and what he says or you've got your head in the sand or you're doing whatever you can to avoid the question, says C.S. Lewis. So have you come to terms with Jesus' claim upon your life? If you haven't or if you feel like you need to or want to explore it further, then the life course that we're running is the perfect way to get to know Jesus. Uh, to slow down to take the time to appreciate and respond appropriately to Jesus as God's King, the Messiah, the one who stands at the focal point of all history. Uh, and if you do take the time, you'll come to see that Jesus offers us amazing grace. That God offers us in Jesus amazing grace. And we're going to sing about that now. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Can I invite you to come and see Jesus, the one who offers us amazing grace. Let's stand as we sing together.